I believe I'll try to do that this morning. Tell the story, saved by grace. If you would, open your Bibles back with me to 2 Kings chapter 6. I've titled the message this morning, How Shall I Save You? Now, Israel was under siege and things had gotten so bad that they sold an ass's head for in today's money was over worth over $400. Now, from what I read, an ass's head doesn't have very much meat on it and what there is there tastes real bad. And people were paying $400 for that. That's how hungry that they were. And this quarter cab of dove's dung was a very small amount of dung. Apparently they used it for fuel or something. People were spending $80 on that. And the point of all that is this. Things were so bad, people were paying a whole lot to get nothing in return. Isn't that a picture of false religion? That's where this story here starts is a picture of false religion. In verse 26 of 2 Kings 6, And as the king of Israel was passing by upon the wall, there cried a woman unto him, saying, Help my lord, O king. And he said, If the Lord do not help thee, whence shall I help thee? Out of the barn floor, out of the wine press? Now that word help, the king says, how shall I help thee? Almost always in the Old Testament, that word is translated save. Almost always. I don't know why they translated the word help here, but save would have been a, a, a better translation. What the king is asking, this is the question I want to look at this morning. How shall I save you? How shall I save myself? How shall you save yourself? Huh? You and I are in a load of trouble because of our sin. Our sin demands our eternal death in hell. We're surrounded, just waiting to die because of our sin. And we're empty. We can't help ourselves out of the wine press or out of the barn floor. It's empty. We're empty of anything good or empty of any spiritual good. So how shall we be saved? Now somebody's got to do the saving, don't they? Somebody's got to. Either we got to save ourselves or God has to save us. So I'm going to start here. If I've got to save myself, if you've got to save yourself, how are we going to do it? How are we going to do it? And men have been trying that from the time of Adam's fall, trying to save themselves, haven't they? I want to show you four things that will always happen if we try to save ourselves. Number one is this. If we try to save ourselves, our sacrifice will be in vain. Verse 28, the king said unto her, What aileth thee? She answered, This woman said unto me, Give thy son, that we may eat him today, and we'll eat my son tomorrow. Now people were so hungry that mothers were boiling their children and eating them. That's just too awful to think about, isn't it? What an awful, what a barbaric sacrifice that they were making. And you know what? It didn't work. They were still hungry the next day. They were hungry again. That's what happens when we try to save ourselves. By nature, we know we're sinners. We know we're sinners. We know our sin somehow has got to be paid for. Now, we don't know how, but we just know there's got to be a reckoning. Our sin's got to be paid for. God must be satisfied somehow. Now, we don't know how he could be satisfied. We just know he needs to be. 
Well, human logic tells us to sacrifice the most precious thing that there is to us. Which is why throughout history, people have sacrificed their children. Nothing more precious to you than your children is. Now you think about that. That's man's way to try to save himself. Sacrifice your children. If that doesn't prove we have a reprobate mind, I don't know what does. Now I know most false religionists don't kill their own children today. At least in our country they don't. It's a sacrifice for sin. But they do still try to come up with some sacrifice. Something they can do to put away their sin. Or at least make them less sinful. And you, There's too many examples of all the stuff they try to do to, to put their sin away. And it's not really my goal to point out all those things to you. You know what they are. But I do, this bears repeating. No matter what religious work a man does, trying to make God happy with us, it won't work. Those efforts will be in vain. We'll do them. We'll, we'll give up some pleasure of the flesh. We'll give up doing something, you know. And we're still going to find ourselves empty of righteousness. We're still going to find ourselves needing to be cleansed from our sin. Man sacrifice, whatever it is he sacrifices, whatever it is he tries to do, it cannot save. It cannot fill us with righteousness. People in false religion are going through all this religious activity trying to save themselves, trying to make themselves more savable, trying to do something to please God. And you know what? You parents, um, and this is just a true statement, especially you mothers, can you begin to imagine, can you begin to imagine boiling your own children, taking one of your children and killing them and boy, can you imagine? Can you imagine what you'd think about a woman who did that? A mother now who did that. Can you imagine what you'd think of? Let me tell you what. Thinking our works of righteousness can make God happy with us is just as reprehensible. It is. More so, really. Because we're dealing with God, not human beings. That's the first thing. If we try to save ourselves, I promise you this, your sacrifice will be in vain. Second of all, if we're trying to save ourselves, we're doing so because we've been deceived. Verse 29. She says, So we boiled my son and did eat him. And I said unto her on the next day, Give thy son that we may eat him. And she had hid her son. Now this poor mother was deceived into eating her son. And now she's broken hearted. He's gone. And she's still hungry. I mean, again, I just keep saying that it's just too horrible to think about. I just can't let my mind dwell there, there very long. But here's the spiritual application. If we're trying to save ourselves, you know why we're trying to save ourselves? We've been deceived into thinking we can do it. I mean, you're not trying to do something you know you can't do. We've been deceived into thinking that we can do this. I know man is blind. Man is dead by nature. I, I know that. I believe that. But this is also true. Man is willingly deceived into thinking he can save himself. 
Our Lord said in Matthew 24, verse 11, many false prophets shall arise and they shall deceive many. And you know why they'll deceive many? They want to be deceived. All that false prophet has to do to deceive them is tell them what they want to hear. And they'll fall for it hook, line, and sinker. The Apostle Paul told Titus that people who preach the law as a way to make themselves righteous, don't... It, it, They'll say, oh, no, I know you've got to trust Christ. I know the sacrifice of Jesus. I know, but you've got to do this, that, and the other, you know, too. Paul says those men are deceivers. That's what he called them, deceivers. In 1 John 1, verse 8, John says, if we say we have no sin, if we say we have no sin nature, we deceive ourselves. Now, if we're just saying, oh, I don't have a sin nature, I'm not, we're just deceiving ourselves. Willingly. People in false religion, a man was telling me about this out in California. He said, I grew up in false religion. And I saw these people. I thought, oh, you know, they're so much, they're so much better than me. And I know I'm not. And I just got to try to act like it, to act like I'm as good as them. And then I finally realized they're no better than I am. They're just, they're, everybody's just trying to trick everybody. We're deceiving. We're trying to. We're, we think we can pull the wool over one another's eyes and deceive one another into thinking, you know, I'm, I'm pretty righteous. I'm, I'm pretty good. You know, maybe, maybe we fooled each other, and maybe we're just too polite to point it out. But either way, thinking we can fool one another makes us think we can deceive God into thinking that we're righteous. <laughs> These, this king was so deceived. He got this bad news and he hated the prophet for the bad news. The prophet's the one pointing him to God. The ones, the prophet's the one telling him, thus saith the Lord. And he hated the prophet for the bad news. And in the end, because of the, all this deception, there's just more sorrow than you and I can imagine. Now here's the third thing. Be sure to get this. The reason that we're trying to save ourselves is we don't believe the word of God. That's right. There's a, one of the articles I told you about, Brother Maurice Montgomery. Well, I can't find it now, but he says in here, if you want to believe God, you would. <laughs> if you want to believe God, you would. The reason we're trying to save ourselves, we don't want to believe the word of God. This is the root of Israel's problem. This siege has been going on so long they're so hungry. I mean, it had to have been going on a good long while, right? They wouldn't be in this mess if they believed God. Look at Second uh, Chronicles chapter 20. In all this time that they were under this siege, all their, their resources dwindling, the, the wine press being empty, the, the, the barn floor being empty, there is not one record of them ever calling on God and asking Him for, for mercy. There's not one record of them calling on God and asking God to deliver them. And God in his word told them to do it. When this trouble comes up, you call on me and I'll deliver you. Here's an example of it. Second Chronicles chapter 20. Israel was in, in trouble and surrounded again. Second Chronicles 20 verse 5. And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, Art not thou the God in heaven? And rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thine hand is there not power and might 
so that none is able to withstand thee? Art not thou our God, who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel, and gavest it to the seed of Abraham thy friend forever? And they dwelt therein, and built thee a sanctuary therein for thy name, saying, If when evil come upon us as the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, and we stand before this house and in thy presence, for thy name is in this house, and we cry unto thee in our affliction, then thou wilt hear and help. Now the reason that the people say that is because when Solomon first built the temple and he dedicated it, that was God's promise to Israel. Whenever I see, now these things aren't coming to you by accident. Whenever I send you pestilence and the sword and famine and I send these people to surround you and besiege you, here's what you do. You cry unto me for mercy and I'll deliver you. God promised to save his people by begging for mercy. And you know why they didn't? They didn't believe God. They didn't believe God would deliver them. Everybody here has heard the gospel preached many times. Are you here this morning and don't trust Christ and don't know him? Are you? I have a question for you. And I want you to answer it honestly in your heart. Why haven't you begged God for mercy? Every single time I preach, I try to tell you, look to Christ. How come you haven't? Let me tell you why. Because you don't believe God. You don't believe He'll be merciful to him if you beg him. Either that or you don't believe God's word says that, that you're is, is totally depraved and helpless, lost in your sins, God said. But one of the two reasons is why you don't beg God for mercy is you don't believe the word of God. Now remember that. I'm going to come back to that here in a little bit. All right, here's the fourth thing. If we try to save ourselves, we will die in our sins. We won't bother reading the, the passages we read it earlier, but remember that, that Lord on whose hand the, the king leaned? When Elisha said, we're going to have all this food tomorrow, it's going to be practically free. He said, well, if Lord open up the windows of heaven, would this thing be? He's saying, that's impossible. And Elisha told him, you're going to see it, but you're going to eat thereof. Sure enough, he saw it happen, didn't he? And the people were so hungry. They were so just striving for that food. They just stampede, ran over him and killed him. He saw it, but he didn't get to eat thereof. If you and I don't believe the word of God, if we don't believe the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that God sends to us, now we're going to see it. At least with these eyes and these ears and this mental capacity that God has given you, you've seen it. You've seen the gospel. You understand it. You understand the gospel. It's, it's, a, it's so simple a child can understand. You understand the gospel. You've heard the gospel often enough to understand how it is that God saves sinners. But if we don't believe Christ, if I don't believe Christ myself, I'm going to see it, but not either. I'm going to see it but not have salvation in Christ. 
and I'll die in my sin, in my rebellion. Now I pointed all that out to try to show us one more time. Salvation and righteousness cannot come by our works of the law. All our works of the law, all of our works of morality, all those things that we're trying to do to make God pleased with us, all they do is add to our condemnation. A dead sin nature can only produce dead works, never works that please God. Well, so far I've had a depressing message, haven't I? But that's the result of trying to save ourselves. But did you notice what the king said when he responded to this woman? Before he said, how can I save you? He said, if the Lord doesn't help you. If the Lord doesn't save you. If the Lord doesn't save you, I can't. If the Lord doesn't save me, I can't save myself. But the Lord's going to save somebody. Now, he's going to save somebody. Well, what happens when God saves his people? I got six things from our text. Number one is this. If the Lord helps us, we're going to be a spiritual leper. Verse 3 of 2 Kings chapter 7. And there were four leprous men at the entering in of the gate. And they said one to another, why sit we here until we die? Now, throughout Scripture, leprosy is a picture of sin. Leprosy was a horrible, 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 slow death disease. And people think of leprosy as a disease of the skin because that's why we see it. We see it rotting off people's extremities and, you know, they're falling off and just rotted away. We think of it as a disease of the skin, but it's not. We think it's a disease of the skin because that's all we see. That's where we see it manifested. Leprosy is a disease of the blood. It rots the flesh from the inside out and it just keeps rotting and rotting and rotting away until the victim dies a horrible, painful death. Well, leprosy is a picture of sin. You know, people think of sin as an outward thing because that's what we see, right? We see people do something wrong. It's an outward, it's an outward thing. But sin is not an outward thing. Sin is a disease of the heart. It's the disease of the soul. It's a disease of the nature that rots us from the inside out until we ultimately die. Sin, when it's finished, bringeth forth death. Here's another way that leprosy is a good picture of sin. Leprosy was considered to be a curse. It was a curse from God. That was always fatal. There was no cure for leprosy. Well, because of our sin, you and I are under a curse. We're under the curse of the law that demands our death. The law demands there must be death for sin. That's the curse of the law. So really, these lepers are twice dead. They, the people then called lepers the walking dead. I mean, physically, they're alive, but they're dying right soon, aren't they? Well, these lepers are twice dead. Their disease is killing them, and the famine's killing them. That's you and me. We're twice dead. We're spiritually dead in Adam and we're dead in our own trespasses and woes. And unless God intervenes in his grace very soon, we're going to die because of our sin and then face the judgment. Well, that's the situation that these lepers were in. They were absolutely helpless. There's not one thing that they could do to improve their situation. 
That's you and me spiritually. Now I know it feels horrible to be helpless. I mean, is, is there just any worse feeling than being hopeless and helpless? It's horrible. Isn't it? But spiritually speaking, it's mighty good if you know that. Because the only people that the Lord saves are people who are so helpless they can't help themselves. See, before God saves you, you've got to be a leper. God saves people who are lepers, dead and dying, without any cure in themselves. All right, number two, if Lord saves us, this is what he's going to do. He's going to draw us to Christ and he's going to make us beg for mercy. And at the end of verse three, these lepers said, why sit we here until we die? If we say we'll enter into the city, then the famine's in the city and we shall die there. If we sit still here, we die also. Now therefore come and let us fall under the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. Now the way these lepers saw it, they had three choices. First, they could enter into the city. You know, at first glance, the city looks pretty good. They've got walls, they've got houses, they've got streets, they've got, they've got barns, they've got a wine press. They've got all the form of civilization. But Isaac, there's one problem with the city. There's no life there. There's no food there. There's nothing to give you life there. The obvious conclusion is, if we go there, we're going to die. Well, we got some idea we're in trouble. You and I could go to religion, couldn't we? Oh, they got all the form. Well, they got the form of religion. They got so-called preachers. They got to buildings and organizations. They got some rules for you to follow, make you feel pretty good about yourself. They got all the form, all the things of religion that impress the flesh. But there's one problem. There's no life there. There's no truth there. They don't have anything there that gives life. They don't have anything there that saves because they don't know. They don't know Christ. They don't preach Christ alone because they don't know Him. The obvious conclusion is if we go there, we're going to die in our sin. So the second choice, these lepers, as they saw it, they said, well, we could sit here and do nothing. Maybe, you know, maybe God will open up windows from heaven or something. We could just sit here and do nothing. But if we do that, we're going to surely die. Well, you and I are in trouble, aren't we? In trouble because of our sin. We could sit here and do nothing. We could sit here and say, well, people say, you know, if, if your good outweighs your bad, you know, it, it'll, it'll turn all right in the end. Now, God says it won't, but maybe it will. You know, maybe it will. As a matter of fact, if we do nothing, you know what Scripture says of our sin? It'll just wax worse and worse. So the obvious conclusion is, if we do nothing, we're going to die in our sin. Well, the way these lepers sought, they had a third choice. They could go to the host of the Syrians and beg them for mercy. And the worst thing that could happen, well, the Syrians will kill us. But we're going to die anyway. Now the Syrians, they're pictures of God's justice. The justice of God that is just waiting the appointed time to condemn us. And justly so because of our sin. 
Well, here's our third choice. You know, we could go to God and beg Him for mercy for Christ's sake. We could go to God and beg Him for mercy. Lord, would you, would you show mercy to me? And you know what? That's what God tells us to do. He said, come to me. This one that we should go to, beg him for mercy. You know what he said about himself? I delight to show mercy. You know, it would be just like God, his character, to show mercy to a sinner like me and you. It'd be just like him. It'd be just like him. And I tell you this, if we go to Christ, the worst that could happen is God of us. But we're condemned already. We're condemned already. Now, if I was that leper, if I was that sinner, and I am, I am, I believe I choose door number three and go to Christ. Wouldn't you? Now listen to me. I know we can't do anything to get God to save us. We can't do anything to make God have to save us. There's nothing we can do to, to obligate God to save us. I know that. There's nothing you and I can do to put away our sin. There's nothing we can do to make our sin that less where God might be more inclined to show mercy to me as, as opposed to somebody else. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. But don't you ever think there's nothing you can do. No, sir. Don't you ever think there's nothing you can do. We can beg for mercy, can't we? Huh? We can call out to God and, and beg Him to be merciful to us. I'll tell you a story. I grew up, you all know, Hearing the gospel. And I believed it was so. I believe that's true. God's God. This is this is so. This gospel. I've heard, I mean, I, it's so. Didn't believe it, but it was so. I, I knew that. And I knew I didn't believe it. I knew I was lost. I knew it. Jan and I were dating. We were at a Bible conference. And it struck me, I might want to tell her she might just want to run for the hills. Maybe she don't want to be married to an unbeliever like me. And I told her, I just, uh, you know, I don't know the Lord. She looked at me like I had worms crawling out my ears. And she said the most obvious thing in this world. Frank, have you ever asked for mercy? <laughs> I ask you the same thing. Have you ever begged for mercy? There's something we can do. I can ask God to save me. I surely can. There's one option for us. Go to God. Go to Christ. And see if he might be pleased to save us. Alright, here's the third thing. I tell you, come to Christ. Let me tell you what you'll find if you come to him. You're going to find plenteous grace. Heaping grace. Verse 5. 
They rose up in the twilight to come unto the camp of the Syrians. And when they were come to the uttermost part of the camp of Syria, behold, there was no man there. For the Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots and a noise of horses, even the noise of a great host. And they said one to another, Lo, the king of Israel hath hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. Wherefore they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents and their horses and their asses even the camp as it was, and fled for their life. And when these lepers came to the uttermost part of the camp, they went into one tent and did eat and drink and carried thence silver and gold and raiment and went and hid it and came again and entered into another tent and carried thence also and went and hid it. Now here's the first thing these lepers found out when they came to the camp of the Syrians. Nobody was stopping them from coming. <laughs> All the guards had run away. Well, that's the first thing a sinner finds out when we come to Christ. Nobody's stopping you. You know why nobody's stopping you from coming to Christ? Because Christ the King said, come. He said, are you weary? Come to me. I'll give you rest. Are you thirsty? Come to me. Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. The King said, come. Then nobody's going to stop you from coming, are they? No. Nobody's going to stop you from coming to Christ because you might not know it just yet, but you know why you're coming to Christ? He's drawing you. He's the one drawing you. Then nobody's going to stop you. And my friends, you know this. We preach here the truth of God's electing love. God chose a people to save. He gave them to His Son to save them. Christ came and He suffered. And He died for those people and only those people. And the Holy Spirit's going to come by the preaching of the gospel and give those people faith and give them life. He's going to give it to God's elect and only to God's elect. I know this. We preach the gospel and I know who's going to believe it. The elect. They're going to believe it. Sooner or later, they're going to believe it. Now, that's the truth. But now listen to me. We also preach this. Christ came to save sinners. That's who he saved. See, those sinners and God's elect, they're one and the same. They're the same people. Now, you can't figure out if you're one of the elect or not. God will never give you any, any indication of that. You can't figure out if you're one of the elect or not. But pretty easily, you can figure out if you're a sinner. Can't you? Now, are you a sinner? Are you? then come to Christ for mercy. Because this is why Christ came. To save sinners. And when you come to Christ because you're a sinner that needs to be saved, that needs to be forgiven, you know what you're going to find out real quick? Oh, I'm one of the elect. I came because God was drawing me. The only evidence we'll ever have this side of heaven that we're one of God's elect is faith. God-given faith. It's the only evidence of being the one elect that we have, that we've been drawn to Christ. Nobody yet ever came to Christ because they knew that they're one of God's elect. People come to Christ because they're sinners. And here's what they find out. God has overflowing grace for sinners. When these lepers came to that camp, you know what they found? 
they found the loot of a host left behind. I mean, they had horses and mules for all those, enough for all those soldiers. They had wagons for all of them. They had enough food to feed that entire host and feed them for a long time. An army travels on its stomach. Boy, there, there was food there for all that army. And the lepers had it all for free. Just take as much as you want. The Lord's provided for you freely. And every single time a sinner ever comes to Christ, you know what they find out? They find a feast. A feast. Everything God has, is, they need, God has provided for them freely. They find forgiveness for all their sin. They find mercy that's greater than all their sin. They find redemption that's paid in full. I know it's paid in full because it's paid by the blood of God's Son. They find eternal life. They find peace with God. They find all that freely. It's all yours to take. It's all yours to have because the Lord Jesus Christ has defeated every enemy by His one sacrifice for sin. God is so gracious to His people He's got more grace than we could ever use up. Now come and die. Come and die. And here's the fourth thing. If the Lord saves you, you'll want to tell others. Verse 10. Or verse 9. They, they said one to another, we do not well. This day is a day of good tidings and we hold our peace. If we tarry to the morning light, some mischief will come upon us. Now therefore come that we may go and tell the king's household. So they came and called unto the porter of the city and they told them saying, we came to the camp of the Syrians and behold, there was no man there, neither voice of man, but horses tied and asses tied and the tents as they were. And they called to the porters and they told it to the king's house within. And the king arose in the night and said unto his servants, I will now show you what the Syrians have done to us. They know that we be hungry. Therefore, are they gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the field? saying, When they come out of the city, we shall catch them alive and get into the city. And one of his servants answered and said, Let some take, I pray thee, five of the horses that remain, which are left in the city. Behold, there is all the multitude of Israel that are left in it. Behold, I say, there even is the multitude of the Israelites that are consumed. And let us send and see. Let's find out. And they took, therefore, two of the chariot horses, and the king sent after the host of the Syrians saying, go and see. They thought they had five horses. By the time they got down to the stable, three of them were dead. They only had two left. That's what they sent. Now, if God reveals Christ to you, you're just going to have to tell somebody. You're going to have to tell others. You'll be shocked and disappointed to find out that those that, that you know the best and love you the best are not going to believe you. But you've just got to tell somebody. Because the good news in Christ is the best news that anybody has ever heard. And on first hearing, somebody will probably tell you, that's too good to be true. You mean to tell me that I don't have to pay any of my sin debt? You mean I don't even have to help out just a little bit? You mean to tell me that I don't have to take the first step? You mean that salvation in Christ is completely free to any sinner that needs it. Is that what you're telling me? Now that's just too good to be true. 
Why would God do something like that for somebody like me? It's for His glory, that's why. Salvation is free to you and me. You know why? Because Christ took the place of His people and paid the debt Himself by His own sacrifice. They came and told the king, didn't they? And it's real interesting, whether you're a king or a leper, whether you're rich or poor, whether you're ignorant or whether you're educated, no matter who you are, no matter what you think of yourself, it doesn't matter who you are or where you're from. We all have the same three choices these lepers had. The king had the same choices as the lepers did. They can stay in the city. They can stay in man's empty religion. They can do nothing. Or we could go to Christ and beg for mercy. So the king said, well, let's go see. And here's the fifth thing. You'll find out if God saves you. If the Lord's the one doing the saving, you'll find out that Christ is even better than what you heard. Verse 15, And they went after them unto Jordan, and lo, all the way was full of garments and vessels which the Syrians had cast away in their haste. And the messengers returned and told the king. Now these spies who came to the camp, you know what they found out? It's even better than what these lepers told us. Not only was the camp full of all this bounty that the lepers had told them about, but the escape route, it was full too. You know what the Syrians did is they heard that they thought they heard this big army coming and they gathered the two or three most valuable, most precious possessions that they had. And they took off running with them. They just thought, I can't live without this. And as they started running, they got more scared and they threw it down in the escape route to lighten their load so they could run faster. And the escape route had even more wealth in it than the camp did. It was even better than what they heard. That's what a sinner finds out when he comes to Christ. It's even better than we were told. Coming to Christ and believing Him, seeing Him, resting in Him, feeding on Christ, experiencing, not just hearing about, but experiencing His love, experiencing His grace, having His life. It's so much better than the preacher told you. It's so much better. If one of you comes comes to Christ, you're going to find that so. And you might come to me and say, Frank, how come you didn't tell me? Well, I tried. But I have to tell you, I'm like the Queen of Sheba. The half hadn't been told. I mean, the human tongue can't tell how wonderful the Lord Jesus Christ is. You've just got to experience it for yourself. You've just got to experience it. Years and years and years ago, when people still called me young Frank, I was sitting in the front row of a Bible conference. Brother Donnie Bell was preaching. He said, now salvation is not an experience. Salvation is knowing Christ. Salvation is believing Christ. Salvation is a relationship with Christ. It's a union with Christ. I was sitting right there, Rebecca said, he said, but young Frank, he said, sure is an experience, isn't it? (laughs) You just got to experience it. I promise you, it's going to be better than what you've heard. And here's the last thing. 
if the Lord saves us, we'll see the word of God fulfilled. Everything happened just like Elisha said it would happen then. All the food was there for practically free. The unbeliever was trodden down and killed in the gate. Every single one of us will see the word of God fulfilled. Every one of us will. If we refuse to believe on Christ, we'll be damned. We'll hear the Savior say, depart from me, I never knew you. Just like God's word says. But if you come to Christ and you beg him for mercy, and you trust your soul to him, you will be saved. You will be. You'll be forgiven. You'll be made righteous. You'll be accepted. And here's good news for a weary pilgrim. You're going to be kept. And you're going to be preserved. Not by your strength and your power, but by God's grace and God's power. Because of who the Lord Jesus Christ is. And one day real soon. You're going to be glorified together. With Christ. And we're going to see him face to face. Like Isaac sung about. And we're going to worship him. Forever. Just exactly. Like God promised. And we're going to spend eternity. Saying. Half hadn't been told. The half hadn't been told. I don't know about you. But I'll speak for myself. I'm going to come to Christ. I'm going to cast myself at his feet and cast myself on his mercy. I hope you do too. Let's bow together. Our Father, how we thank you for this picture of redemption. And our Lord Jesus Christ that you've given to us. Oh, and how we thank you for the real thing. How we thank you for our Savior. How we thank you for your mercy and your grace. We could be saved. We could be given life in no other way. Father, how we thank you. Father, I pray that you'd be pleased to be merciful this morning. That you'd be pleased to reach down and lay hold upon the hearts of your people. Those who've believed you, loved you, and trusted you for a long time. Father, reach down and lay hold on the hearts of your people. Comfort us. Strengthen us. Encourage us. Keep us looking to Christ alone. Father, I pray that you would reach down that mighty hand. Lay hold on one who as of right now hasn't come to you. You lay hold on. That you draw them to Christ. That you give them life and faith in Christ. Through the preaching of your gospel. Father we ask. Great things. Because of what a savior. What a great savior we have. Lord be merciful to us we pray. It's in Christ's name. For his sake. Amen. All right, Sean.